When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast. My name is Mark Crosswell. We've got Lou Stagner, as always, and Scott Fawcett. We're answering your questions today. So I put a tweet out on my Twitter account, at 4GolfOnline, asking for your questions. So this is your chance to feature in what is being called one of the most exciting podcasts in golf at the moment. That's what the old audience are saying, which is very kind of everybody. Should be a fun session today. Welcome, Lou and Scott. Are you ready for this next fun session? You got your questions at the ready? I do have my questions at the ready. Some really great, uh, great topics submitted by the listener. So thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. there's a couple podcasts in this one for sure. It's, it's, yeah. I really think that there's some great questions and answering what they want to hear. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to kick it off. My, po- my question comes from ET. <laughs> ET underscore golf 84. He said his question was during the three, the free PGA tour live stream yesterday, Paul Azinger said that those who carry the ball 305, which will be about 20% of the field, there will be a real opportunity. ET thinks that it's nearer 2% that actually carry the ball that far. And then he then goes on to ask, when will TV embrace real stats and will the facts put people off watching live golf? So he's got a couple of questions. Is it really 20% that are carrying it 305, which is what Paul Azen just said in a live stream? Um, and if they did actually start using real facts, would that put people off or encourage them to watch a bit more thoughts gentlemen who wants to kick off with that one i'll kick it off and just give some context around the actual numbers they they've been keeping the carry distance stats since 2007 on the pga tour and since 2007 in full seasons uh, we'll, we'll come back to 2021 in a second but from 2007 to 2020 there was one year where there were two players that had an average carry distance of 305 or longer. Um, there were five. Was seasons, that two or 20%? Two, two, players, <laughs> two players. Two players out of about oh, one, 200. Okay, I, yeah. I thought so. So it's about so one, we're talking you know, about 1%. 1.2%. Yeah, <laughs> normally about 200 players every year get ranked in, the, in this stat. So there were five seasons where there were no players, zero players that averaged over 305 carry. And every other season, there was one player that averaged 305 or longer. And keep in mind, there's about 190 to 200 players every year that they get ranked in this stat. So it, it's, it's literally less than 1%. Um, 
that of players this year, we have three players so far that are averaging over three Oh five. There's still a long way left to go in the season. Um, Who are those? Do you know? Uh, Bryson was one of them. Um, and I think maybe Rory, I, f- I forget the other ones. Cameron but, Champ, but maybe, I don't know. Three, yeah, probably three Cameron players. Champ, yeah. um, okay, so in defense here then, so you're saying it is around 1% or 2%. Well, basically it's 1%. Less than 1%. It? Yeah. Um, in Paul Asian's defense, I didn't see the free PGA live stream. We don't get access to that in the UK. I presume that's an American thing, is it? The PGA live stream. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I didn't see if that hole that he was talking about, Paul Asian was talking about, might have been downwind, for instance. It might have been downhill. So even though they're not carrying it 305, they are carrying it 305 in that situation, which then might have made a bigger percentage that could make that carry, whatever they were talking about. And he might have been talking about, um, you know, five or six players in the last two groups and three of the people that you mentioned might have been in those groups. I'm totally playing devil's advocate because I didn't see the actual event that it talked about. Um, does that make sense what I'm saying? No, it, I mean? it, it does make sense. And we talked about this in a prior podcast where uh, looking at, at shots, tee shots that travel over 320. Uh, and normally when you have shots that are going a long way, you typically have something that's contributing to that. The hole is significantly downhill. It's significantly downwind. Uh, In the case of just total distance, the fairways are really firm and and you're getting 60 plus yards uh, of run like we were last week on tour. Um, And there's always some kind of contributing factor or it might be at elevation. And, And so when they're hitting it, when they're hitting bombs, there's a reason uh, but if you just put them in the typical environment, there's only one or two players that are going to average carrying the ball 305 or longer uh, on the tour. It's just it's been that way since 2007, and it, it's it might it might inch up a little bit here over the next few years as guys really start to try to add add speed. But it's not going to be 20 percent of the tour anytime soon. I, yeah. I have an update on the statistics actually. When I just pulled it up, carry distance, there is there are four that are 304.9 and higher, but Cameron Smith is third. And I was like, Cameron, I Champ. Didn't Cameron Champ or Cameron, Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith. And I was like, wow. that guy hits it that far. Well, his longest no. carry recorded this year is 1,013 yards. So that <laughs> might be a misclick. Um, so his shortest carry is 253. His longest is 1,013. So they're actually only two averaging over 305. That said, Ryan Brem, if that's how you say his name, is at 304.9. So we'll still call it three. Yeah. Free yeah. Free and a slight blip in the yeah. old. Yeah. Well, because I was looking, I was like, Bryson's average is 340.9 right now on 30 Not attempts. Carry, that's like, total distance. That's carries no, what carry. it says. Wow. Yeah. I literally uh, scrolled to the bottom like, am I missing this? And it's it's distance to impact. Bryson has 10,226 yards divided by 30 attempts is 340.9 yards. Yeah. That's unreal. Yeah. So the way I look at this question, though, is who's capable of it even? So, again, when I'm playing and, and actually swinging hard or, or working with a guy who's in that 120-ish club head speed, those guys, th- that's going to carry it. 305 if you can get there um, with perfect launch conditions and everything and there are 19 players on tour right now that have a 120 mile an hour club head speed average on the season again we're still talking early on the season if we go back to 2020 there are 
uh, 20 guys again who averaged 120 or higher. So there are 20 guys that are capable of that 305 type carry. Well, there but, you go. There's your 20% on a field of 100 players. That's maybe the 20% that Paul Asinger is referring to, possibly. Well, but that's like what they're capable of. That's going to kind of, I'm not going to say that be their max, but that's in the realm of their max carry. If you're a guy with 120 club head speed, not given conditions notwithstanding, you're not going to accidentally carry one 320. Like that's just not the way it's going to work. So yeah. conditions are what are allowing a lot of that to get up there, in, in my opinion. Well, you could go to like uh, FlightScope has a trajectory optimizer on their website, and and you can obviously um, launch conditions play a big factor in this. If you're you know, hitting something with 180 mile an hour ball speed and you have 8,000 RPMs, it's going to go a lot shorter than if you have you've hit a knuckleball at 1,900 uh, RPMs. Uh, but yeah. 182 mile an hour ball speed with 12 degree launch and 2,500 RPMs of spin is going to carry 305.2 yards. Yeah, so, so it's really the top end, isn't it's it? Really, it's really, really the top end. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to have 180 plus mile an hour ball speed with some good launch conditions to to carry at 305. Yeah, absolutely. So Scott, what do you reckon about will TV embrace real stats and will the facts put people <laughs> off watching live golf? I mean, I don't know how I don't watch much that much golf. I know you don't, so maybe not the best person. Well, to no, ask actually, the golf you have watched, how have they got more committed to stats over the years? Is it actually creeping forwards or not? What do you think? Are supply chain issues still disrupting your operations? Graybar has you covered. As a leader in distribution of electrical, communications, data networking, and industrial products, professionals across the country rely on Graybar's nationwide logistics network to get them what they need, when and where they need it, and within budget. Operating with one clear mission, to serve as the vital link in the supply chain, adding value for customers and suppliers with innovative solutions and services. Their nationwide logistics network, with over 290 locations across the country, assists owners and professionals with building and maintaining the operations in our electrical, communications, and industrial world by getting them what they need, when and where they need it, and within budget. Being able to effectively navigate supply chains to get products on-site and on-time is crucial these days, and Graybar's nationwide logistics network is a game-changer in keeping projects on task. To view more information on their services, head to graybar.com. That's G-R-A-Y-B-A-R.com. Yep, Graybar does that. They're going to have no choice but to slowly adopt it. And again, this is where it gets back to, without naming names, the comment that's like, I don't even know what strokes gained is. Okay, maybe since you're in the golf business, you should figure that out. Yeah. I had a conversation yesterday, a, a, a woman's college coach who's coached NCAA champions. She said that she's got a player who's currently ranked in the top 10 in the world in, in Wagger women that she's like, can you have a conversation with her? She actually doesn't want to play professional golf, but she wants to get into commentating. And I just think it'd be an interesting conversation for you to have with her to talk about analytics. And so I had an awesome hour, hour and 15 minute long conversation with one of the best female amateur players in the world. And it was centered entirely around analytics. You know, me basically saying, here's the stones I would turn over. Here's the, the way that I would personally, if I were a commentator, I would talk about, you know, this strokes gain and, and it just should be explained in almost every telecast. Hey, they're starting expectation from here is 2.8. They hit it to eight feet. That's 1.5 and, and walk the viewer through that because 
e-expectation, it is absolutely paramount to shooting, playing your best golf, understanding these numbers. You don't have to be a numbers guy. Just memorize a few key numbers. 162 yards is where they average three strokes to hole out on tour. I think yeah. that's a very therapeutic number. So if the commentators, again, here's a 22-year-old high school or college senior. She wants to get into commentating and she's trying to learn it. So she's ahead of that curve. Nabilo, Shambly, those guys have attended my seminar. They're, they're, they are trying, but then you're also going to have guys without naming names that just make ridiculous comments that aren't based in fact whatsoever. And they'll do it until it finally, the uproar is loud enough. Like that's just stupid. That's not correct. And they'll finally, I assume, stop saying it, or they'll just work their way out of a job eventually, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. What about you, Lou? What do you think? Do you reckon stats could be embraced more on telly? And would it make it more entertaining for people? I mean, I know what your answer would be because it entertains you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think it can be improved. I think there's a lot of anecdote and myth still in the game. And, and I, as I've mentioned before, um, some of the announcers that are you know, out there now, they grew up in an era where we didn't have the advanced or more advanced statistics that we have now. And they, some of them really haven't transitioned and they, they still think what they think, you know, what they thought back in 1988. And again, as I've said before, it's really hard to be an announcer. I, I couldn't fill that much airtime. I trip over my words with the two of you guys, you know, for 30 minutes of talking, I'd, I'd struggle to fill five hours. So yeah, I understand I, when that. You say that. When you say that, I get that. But I also think that's like saying it's really hard to be a brain surgeon, but there's plenty yeah, of them. Really you know, uh, an, 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 whatever your job title. What's like, your job title, Lou? What's your job title, out of argument's sake? Director of analytics. Is what okay, so I would yeah. say that's really hard to do as well. It's all relative. There's, not, there's plenty of people knocking at the doors who would take those jobs sure. and move forward. So I know what you're saying, and it's respectful, but I totally disagree because I think those jobs generally are not advertised stroke given a free reign to a group of people there's they've got themselves into a blueprint that they want x tour you know looks a certain way talks a certain way doesn't matter if it's true or not yeah did you see this just happened and it's relevant to this topic uh, mark rolfing um on golf central the other day said uh, that, that you know cert certain players were you know they were cherry picking their events he was talking about a appearance fees but he was also talking about cherry picking events so that they could maintain their top 50 ranking and he used Retief Goosen as an example and I went back and I looked at Retief's uh, world ranking he was you know top 10 from 2001 through 2006 and then he started to slide in 2007 to 2010 and he eventually got outside of the top 50 in 2011 but when you go and look at his performances in 2007, 2008, 2009, and 2010. I mean, he had some really good performances uh, in those years. And, and even though he may be cherry picking tournaments, well, I don't even know what that means to stay in the top 50. If you show up and you slam your trunk on Friday afternoon, you're, you're not getting any points. Or if you finish, <laughs> well, you know, it's all about their divisor and it, 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 it it is possible they're cherry picking events, but my statement would be like, why wouldn't they? 
it's important to be in the top 50 in the world. Yeah, not, not, not only why <laughs> wouldn't they, but you, in order to maintain that, you still have to perform. And yeah, like, when it, you look it, at- It hints towards that they're, they're not, they're like yeah, cheating the system, doesn't it? That's I, what it hints I mean, you can, you can uh, I don't want to say play the system, but you can optimize it, sure. But like in 2007, he finished second at the Masters, fourth at the Johnny Walker, uh, fifth at Abu Dhabi, uh, 23rd in the Open, 23rd at the PGA, 18th at at the Arnold Palmer, 17th at a WGC event, 18th at HSBC Champions. Tw- I mean, on and on. And then t- 2008, uh, same type of, of deal where he had a, a bunch of top tens. He, he won something o- over on the Asian tour, but he had a bunch of top tens um, at big events uh, and won the Valspar in 2009. And, and so did he cherry pick events? Sure. But he, he also threw in a whole bunch of top tens and a couple of wins at some big events in that in that time span. So, yeah, yeah. like, well, it's, it's like it's like that- to say that it, it makes absolutely no sense to me. It takes yeah. thirty seconds to look up his performance in those years and go, oh, he, he actually, yeah, did he have a bunch of miscuts? Yeah, but he actually played pretty good for a bunch of these events. The the point the the point that would stand if you're like cherry picking and it's like viewed as a negative Zalatoris right now is forty eighth in the world. If he can hang on to the top fifty for the next you know, roughly five weeks, he's in the masters. Correct. Well, yeah. he can't just sit out because people will pass him, but he can affect what his divisor is with the points. And again, I'm not an expert on world ranking, so I don't want to say anything wrong, but it's, it's essentially how it works. If you were in 38th, you could potentially not play until the masters and it might help you stay in the top 50 more than if you went and missed a couple cuts. But again, that's such a rare thing. And it's, it really is. It, it's just, just not, it's just a weird statement. So, so I think if, 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 if in, in football, if you didn't like, have to play exactly. the Patriots for the last 12 years, you would sign up for that schedule. Or, or in any <laughs> team sport, you can bear it to yeah. a team sport. You don't just always pick the same team. You cherry pick the team for the situation. It's a similar, like you have to play every fixture because the fixtures are set out. You don't choose, but you ain't going to waste legs of great players against teams possibly that don't need those players to play. It's just uh, one, one more comment, uh, you know, back to the, you original. need to watch what you're listening to, Lou. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, one more comment uh, around uh, could stats be better on, on TV? Um, I posted this yesterday. From 40 yards in the fairway, PGA Tour players, they leave 50% of their shots outside of 10 feet. Right? When you listen to – I'm going to pick on the announcers now. When you listen to announcers, you never walk away with that kind of a perspective from announcers. They, 100%. you know – Paul Azinger, you listen to Azinger, Azinger mm-hmm. is, is going to, you know, you walk away listening to Azinger and if a guy's got 120 yards, uh, you know, he's uh, going to hit everything inside of four feet. And that's just mm-hmm. 100% not the case. And they Sounds need good, to, they need to start talking about things like this and, and sharing the actual information rather than something that is so anecdotal and based on nothing. I, I used that tweet exactly yesterday with that girl, Lou, because I'm like, that's the kind of thing that you just need to know. And again, if it's your job, you should be memorizing stats all day long. Again, like everyone says, Tony Romo is an amazing announcer. That dude studies more than you can possibly imagine in order to be prepared. So any any situation, he's got something you know, ready at the, you know, just immediately in his brain that is correct. <laughs> 
Right, so Lou, should we have your question? What have you got for me? I think we all agree that stats could be done, certainly. Yeah, let's... Well, um, they could just be done, couldn't they? <laughs> Lou, so what have you got for me? This one comes from Doug Hasty uh, at DWH Golf. And he wrote, I used to teach at a very difficult course. I would recommend to some members to play a couple of par fours as three shot holes, figuring they would average a much better score that way. Would love for you guys to discuss. So I'm going to look, uh, I have my thoughts on this and I want to go over a few things, but I'm going to look at Scott first. So Scott has a, an entire system he designed around core strategy. So what's your response to that, Scott? It's certainly possible. Again, the hard thing about making concrete statements in golf is that I don't know what the holes he's talking about are. The one hole that this was all kind of stemming from was a 560 yard par five that had a lake on the left and houses on the right and was basically 50 yards wide the whole way. There's no chance that hole, even though you could potentially get home, there's no way driver is going to result in your lowest expected score. Could somebody, depending on their handicap, potentially even play that as a four shot hole? Because I said, you know, probably 200, 200, 160 is going to be correct there. But you also have to appreciate, especially as your handicap goes up, you're going to hit some of those initial 200-yard tee shots into penalty situations. Sometimes there's just not a great option. Um, but sometimes, yes, there are certain holes you could play that way. But, man, it's it's really hard to make a concrete statement yeah, like that. Yeah, I would agree in, with that. In, in I think experience. it's a real challenge. It's got to be so player-specific, isn't it? You know, it's just just because – just because well, just – well, just because you're off 20 handicap, that doesn't mean that driving is your worst skill. And just because you're off 20 handicap doesn't mean that driving is your best skill or worst. It just doesn't work like that. I've played with 20 handicappers who plod the ball down the middle plenty of times and you would never ask them to club back. And I've played with five handicappers who hit the driver off the planet and I would kill like free shot it. Just, I'm not looking for your ball today. I'm bored. Just free bloody shot it, please. Like it, it's well, so... that was, that was the reason I answered the question 200, 200, 160 instead of driver or iron, because regardless of who you are, that's probably going to be the yeah. best way to Lou, go about what's your it. Thoughts? Well, I, you know, one of the uh, takeaways for me on this, and I think this is, um, this really is is useful information for amateurs. Uh, the fairways hit stat, uh, I think, is is generally pretty useless, um, and it's more useless for amateurs than it is for tour players. Tour players benefit a lot more by being in the fairway than amateurs do. And and here's kind of an example on that: uh, a PGA Tour player from a hundred yards in the fairway is going to take about 2.8 strokes to, to hole out from 100 yards in the fairway and about 3.02 strokes to hole out from 100 yards in the rough. So that's a difference of 0.22 shots from 100 in the fairway to 100 in the rough. A scratch player only has a difference of 0.11 shots from 100 yards in the fairway to 100 in the rough. So when you think about that for a second, a, a scratch player isn't as impacted by being in the rough as a professional player is. There's probably a lot of reasons uh, that go into that and, and we won't get into all of those, but for an amateur player, which most of the people listening to this pod are like me, they're just amateurs out there trying to shoot their best score and they're, they're, they're not shooting 65s. Um, 
you need to stop worrying about hitting fairways and you need to start worrying about keeping your ball in play off the tee. Right. And I don't care how many fairways you hit. I just want to know, did you keep it in play? Right. What kills players like me uh, is having to come back out sideways or having to reload. So just start thinking uh, about your tee shots in terms of keeping them in play and, and amateurs, they, they generally, you know, you want to skew away from um, a, a fairway bunker. And so if you have a relatively open hole, there's a couple of holes I played at, at my course where, you know, there's a fairway bunker on one side and the other side is a ton of room, like not only a, a, a bunch of fairway room, but a ton of rough and it's wide open over there. Like on those holes, I am literally aiming into the rough. Um, to try to avoid fairway bunkers. And if you have those kind of situations, it's definitely something I would say. So, you know, for me, start thinking about your driving performance just in terms of what percentage of your tee shots are you keeping in play and you have a swing on the next one. And, you know, if you top 150 yards into the middle of the fairway, that doesn't, that doesn't count as a good shot. If you have reasonable contact and you keep it in play, like that's something that, that I would want them to do. And so at a really difficult hole, uh, this is where knowing and understanding your dispersion is really helpful. Like if you know that with a given club, let's say your hybrid club, you're going to keep 95% of your shots within a 50 yard window. That gives you a lot of really good information to, to try to figure out how you like for your game should play a certain hole. And the, and I always come back to the generally the best play is advance the ball as far as you possibly can, as often as you can taking into account trouble. And, and so knowing your dispersion allows you to make some really good decisions on that. Yeah. So it's player specific, just to give you an idea, I've got some stats on the ideas you'll do it. Uh, giving there. So hitting into trees costs the average golfer. These are like amateur stats, 1.1 shots. That's hitting into trees, hitting into light rough costs them about 0.3 of a shot and hitting into a fairway bunker costs them on average 1.4 shots hitting into fairway bunkers for your average amateur is just not well hitting into bunkers full stop costs them more than hitting into trees believe it or not so definitely keeping it as far down there in play it, it's a it's a very player specific answer i i think we would all agree um scott have you got a question for us or have well, you else to add sorry well i actually yes. have something to add on to that real quick just because obviously in the decade portal i've got hundreds of thousands of rounds and holes with penalties for someone who averages 70 is 1.1% essentially, which again, I shouldn't say someone who averages 70 because this is our generic profile of, of a good round. And someone who's up in the eighties is 6.25%. So it's an extra 5%, which, you know, it's, you know, almost three quarters of a, of an extra uh, penalty shot around. But when you take in T shots in the trees, that 80 shooters at 10%, that 70 shooters, 42 Tee shots in the sand, interestingly, is 3.8 for the 70 and 3.68 for the 80. I would bet that's because they're not getting it to the bunkers typically. But if now all of a sudden we take tee shots in the trees, plus in the sand, plus penalties, that winds up being 20% of your 14 tee shots around. That's three times around a guy averaging is around 80 that's driving it into a bad situation. It's pretty hard to overcome that. And again, what I really tried when people ask me about launch monitors and all this stuff, you know, if you're an instructor, you know what you're looking for in the data. What I tell 
people, you know, at, at home more than anything is use your launch monitors to do what Lou said. I know I hit 90% of my hybrid inside of a 50 yard window. Well, now when I stand up on that tee shot that has a lake left and a house is on the right and it's a stupid hole, if there's only 50 yards, that's a stupid hole. There's no short two ways about it. At, at a minimum, it's a bad hole. But you know from your practice and from your work with, and you don't even need a launch monitor, use a satellite and figure out two 50 yard points, a 50 yard wide point on your home driving range, hit shots between it. Now stand up on that tee shot and you got to get a little bit of, I don't care where it goes because that's the, that's the mindset you have on the range, but you got to get a little bit of, I don't care where it goes and trust if I do what I'm capable of doing, odds are I'm going to be okay here. It's when you start guiding, overthinking over anything that's Play where you get odds, yourself in trouble. Good stuff. So, uh, Scott, your question. My what question from Sir Frederick Ryan, F-V-E-R-M-E-U-L-E-N. That's a, I'd like to know what, how he got to that, to Sir Frederick. Sir Fred, welcome. Sir Fred, welcome. <laughs> it's Sir Nick's little brother. Uh, he's, he asks, is eliminating one side of the course a myth? I don't mean getting really good at one shot that's your go-to shot 90% of the time. From what I see on TV, players seem to miss both ways fairly equally Yet I always hear broadcasters saying a player's eliminated one side. Any truth? Zero. Absolutely zero truth. End of podcast. No, but in all honesty, <laughs> there's no truth to that. No matter what shot someone has, there's not a shot that magically eliminates 50% of their shot pattern. You have a geometric center of your shot pattern. No, what, no matter what shot you're trying to hit, period. There's no getting around that. What really, it's, it's just a slight... It isn't semantics, but it's kind of buried in semantics. Eliminating the left side of the course or the right side of the course really means you've eliminated, and even eliminated is still in air quotes, the double cross. And the double cross is the death in golf. It is why I talk about so much doing the same thing over and over again, because double crosses are simply off the planet always. You cannot hit a double cross very often and play good golf, which is just what happens when you try to work the ball both ways too much. And so what he then goes on, you know, it seems like they miss half left and right. And that's pretty accurate. The, the best drivers tend to miss, you know, of their, if they hit 60% of the fairways of their 40% misses about 20% are left and about 20% are right. Typically um, you'll tend to favor this player's shot pattern. It'll be skewed a little bit to the right for a fader, a right-handed fader. Um, but what they do is if there's a lake on the right, well, I hope you haven't eliminated the left side, because as Lou said, you kind of need to be aiming into the left rough and vice versa. So really when you hear a guy like Duvall, and, and again, I love Duvall, I, I'm saying you hear a guy like that talking about his own game saying I've eliminated the, the left side. What he is actually saying is I've eliminated the double cross in my game, which is why he was one of the best players in the world. The, you know, the, the compounding error of, of, of that idea is, you know, Finau in the in the playoff last week at Riviera, he's standing up there on 14. He's a he prefers a fade, and he did hit a little draw in the actual in the fourth round. So I'm not I'm trying to be he tried to hit a draw with his iron in the fourth round, but he overdid it in the playoff because he's trying to make birdie on a hole from 188. That in the final round there were two birdies all day, 16 bogeys, and at 55 pars. The scoring average is 3.21. He's winning that hole far more often with a par than he is with a birdie. And he needs to basically just be saying, you know what, in this situation, it just doesn't sit up well for me. Nobody the entire day hit it inside of 10 feet. Both birdies were outside of 10 feet. Again, it just looked like a halo around the hole because the greens are so firm. 
Tony's best chance of winning that tournament is having 14 and going to 15, where if he catches it, he can carry the bunker and Homa can't. That's, that's the patience and discipline. So it's, it's a roundabout way of getting to eliminating one side, but it really comes down to just, again, having that predictable shot shape and just going to it over and over and over again. Yeah. So, I mean, just so people are clear here. So you, cause I, I hear, uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. I totally agree, but I hear a contradiction or I, I hear a contradiction that people will hear in what you've just said there, because good players have a repeatable shot pattern that allows them to aim according to the trouble to that shot pattern. And then in turn, knowing their miss. So they don't have the double cross as you call it. Amateurs from the ones I've measured over the years, they generally have, let's say 30% target found in play shots off the tee. And then they have equal left and equal right, quite big percentages. And what they do is that they, they literally don't know where to aim or how to manage that. If you can move that player into moving the 30% that are missing left into moving them onto the right, in theory now you have reduced their shot pattern because you've gone from 30% down the middle, 30% down the right, 30% down the left, for argument's sake, all the way around there. But if you move 60% right, 30 in the middle, and then you get them to aim every tee shot on the left rough, they're going to hit one-sided more shots, aren't they? They're going to, in effect, not eliminate, because that's a definite, but they're going to take one side of the course out, which is basically kind of what you're saying, but in a different way, is it not? No, I don't. I don't think so. Again, I think that this is where it gets really hard, just especially just discussing this in words without visuals. Yeah, um, but it is if nothing... someone. So if you take someone's, let's. Okay, Are you so, saying? But but what I don't no, think no, you're so saying. I'll say it differently. So I agree. I so I'll say it differently. Their dispersion left and right is a shot pattern of let's say a hundred yards. Basically, all I'm saying, if you can make that shot pattern disperse into now 60 or 70 yards and it generally goes more to one side than another, so you turn someone who hits snap hooks into fades, you are making them a better player and you're going to get them not to see the left side of the course more often. Again, I know now what you've just said, though, is what I thought you were basically going to say is you're saying I've made that person's shot pattern smaller. Yes, that's you, you did that by eliminating double crosses by getting a predictable pattern, which is, again, what I would tell people to do. But you can't just say, well, I it's I not just double sh- crosses. It's not just double crosses. Well, certainly I can have a face but, four open to a path and it's so far out the wheel. It starts going left and goes left. It's not it's it's many things. It's not just a double cross on average. Uh, okay, so if now let's just if rather than even bringing a golf course into play, let's just talk about we're in a studio with a track man. Yeah, I am sitting there hitting my fade over and over and over again. My yeah. shot pattern is sixty yards wide, and it's centered just for argument's sake, just yeah. right over the center of the, of the of the range. Yeah. If and when I now go hit a hundred, I hit a hundred fades. It's seventy yards wide. Now I go hit a hundred draws. I'm still just creating my same all in the same shot pattern. Those draws will be a larger and wider shot pattern than my fades because I will double cross that draw. I will hit a block cut far more often than I personally will hit a little baby pull 
pull draw. Yeah. So the fade. So it. in effect, the fade for you will help you move your shot pattern less away the, from one side, won't it? The fade is what makes my shot pattern smaller. Just like for Zach Johnson, the draw is yeah. what makes his shot yeah. pattern and smaller. And by having that smaller shot pattern, which is more reliable, so it's like you don't get the what you call the double cross or whatever other listeners might be getting a heel draw. You can heel draw it, people. Don't think everything out of heel instantly fades. It's a myth. They do generally, but they don't always. Um, even with, you know, you can have fade numbers at it out of the heel and the blooming thing goes left and carries on further left. Um, so your fade, in effect, is going to allow you to move your equal fairway to left miss to right miss into more of a right miss to straight, is it not? Yes. Subject and, and to your aiming. Yes, but and, and interestingly, and the reason that I, I think this is a really interesting topic is Tiger, you know, when he was with Butch, he drove it just ridiculous and he hit the vast majority of times he hit fades. Once he started going with Haney, he started driving it terrible, but at least every one of his misses was just straight right. So he had a manageable again, I miss. A, I, it's a predictable miss at a minimum. Yeah. And so he actually, under Haney, had a very lopsided skew of fairways missed to the right, like two to one to the right versus his misses to the left. Once he started working on Again, I don't want to talk about what he and Foley, like I don't know what they worked on, but from the, the bleachers, it looked like they're zeroing his path out more. They're giving him the ability in theory to work the ball <laughs> both directions more. He then actually had a much better left and right distribution. It was more 50-50, but that's because the double crosses simply made his shot pattern massive. So in, in the stats, his shot pattern looked, or his stats looked less functional under Haney but because it was the same miss every time, it actually was more functional than once he started working on some of the other stuff. Then he's just started missing it both directions. And uh, the, that time that he shot 84 or whatever it was in the first round at Memorial, like the first two holes, I think he hit it like 70 yards right on one and then 70 yards left on two. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be a doozy. Yeah. He, and again, I literally was giving a, a, a presentation that day at, at Old Waverly and the guys that I was giving the presentation with, we saw the first couple tee shots in shot link. I'm like, he's going to shoot a million today because he has no idea where the where face is and he's searching. Yeah. We, I gave the seminar and the guy from the shop came out and he's like, did you see what Tiger shot today? And I'm like, no, did he shoot like 65? Make me look stupid. He goes, no, he shot 84 or 85, whatever it was. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. He doesn't know where his miss is. And so he's out there chasing his tail all day long. That's, what's really hard to do and that's what they're hinting at isn't it no eliminating yes. the one side the commentator is actually hinting at that they knew where their miss was which is where i do think when you say it's semantics it does kind of like you start by saying it makes no difference but it's a contradiction it, it kind of does make a difference does. but i understand what you're saying lou what have you got for me what do you reckon can you eliminate i don't reckon you can eliminate one side, no I, I don't think so and, and i don't i don't have it in front of me but you could go and scroll my timeline on twitter and find it um, who is one of the uh, golfers that they always talk about is eliminating the left side of the golf course, Dustin Johnson, right? Number okay, one yeah. player yeah. in the world. Yeah. And I, and I went and I looked back at multiple years worth of, of DJ. And I looked at tee shots. I think it might, might've been tee shots that lost half a stroke or more or three quarters of a shot or more. I forget exactly which one it was, <clears throat> but it was certainly really bad tee shots. Uh, and a little bit more than half of his really bad tee shots missed left. 
Um, and here's a guy that is eliminating the left-hand side of the course, yet he is getting himself into a whole bunch of trouble on the left side. So, you know, these he's guys- He's chasing angles. No, he, he might be, <laughs> yeah. So oh, <laughs> regardless of the shot shape, right, you have a cone of dispersion. And if you, whatever this, whether you're hitting a cut, whether you're hitting a draw as a tour player, if you pick a point and you're trying to land the ball or make the ball end up on that point, you're going to hit half of your shots to the left and you're going to hit half of your shots to the right. And a tour player is going to have, you know, a cone that is about 65 yards wide, give or take. Uh, and that's going to capture about 95% of their shots. So they are going to hit as many shots to the left of that point as they are to the right. And they're going to end up in situations where they, you know, within their zone, within their pattern, they missed it on a certain side and they're going to end up in trouble. So eliminating the uh, side of the golf course, I, when you look at the stats and you look at players that are supposedly doing this, I don't see them doing this um, at, at all in any way, shape or form. If they were DJ, you know, 90% of, of the tee shots of his worst tee shots would be shots that he missed. Right. Dustin Johnson has been playing some pretty good golf right now. We can all agree with that. He's I yep. think got four wins in his last last 10 starts, two or three seconds. And that's the only reason I bring that up is I'm, I'm going with this year's statistics, 2020 statistics only for this, just because he has been playing so good. I don't care if it's a small sample size, it's a small sample size of some really damn good golf. Left rough tendency, Dustin Johnson currently is 16.74%. So 16.4% of the time when he misses it, he's missing it left, which is a hundred and seventy second on the PGA Tour. His right rough tendency is 126th on tour, 17.19%. So he's 17% right, he's 16% left. I'm going to call that a dead heat. He certainly hasn't eliminated the left-hand side because he's hitting it left 1% less of the time, technically a half a percent less of a time. It's just, it's, it's just false period. And you're not going to get someone playing better golf than DJ is right now. You know, it's funny is I actually heard someone argue that he's playing as good a golf right now as tiger played in his prime. And I was like, that's ridiculous. And then they started reeling off what he's done. I'm like, Wow, that's pretty Maybe good, actually. Yeah, no, no, I, I think it was the guy from Sky Sports. They call him Radar. Do you yeah, know who yeah, that guy is? Yeah, yeah and he been. said that, um, and I think what he said was that right now, DJ is a better ball striker than Tiger was in his prime. And I was like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> Not even close. I mean, and two, we don't have Tiger's strokes gain stats from, you know, pre-2004, but I think in 2006, Tiger, his strokes gain tee to green was like just under three. It was like 2.95, something like that. And the best DJ's ever had in a season is 2.3. Um, and so, and, and we don't have Tiger's stats from 2000, 2001, which probably are going to be better than they were in 2006. So I, I would, I would guess that Tiger gained over three shots per round T to green in 2000, 2001 DJ's never topped, never been above 2.3. So mm -hmm. no DJ, he's a phenomenal player, best in the world deservedly, but did he ever strike the ball as well as Tiger in Tiger's prime? Not even remotely close.
So just well, back to DJ there. Uh, well, go on, Scott. Go on. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, I mean, DJ's eating 67% of fairways. Is that what you're saying with his 16% less, 70% It's right? roughly because it's rough yeah. tendency and they lose penalties. It's No, it, don't forget they don't in that number. There's uh, there's shots that end up in the bunker too. So That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. Okay. It, and then how, you don't just add those two together and there's their number. Okay. But how, many of, <laughs> how many of the left misses cost him compared to the right misses cost him? As in, is the left miss him trying to fade it to the center and he catches it a little bit more out the heel or even the toe than normal. So it stays straight and doesn't move. And it's like missing 10 yards left and the 17% to the right. Are they his bad shots? I don't know what. His bad no. Shots. So remember I, and I did this and it's out there somewhere and I just, I don't, I'm not even going to try to look it up while we're, while we're talking through yeah. this, but no, no, his, his misses to the left are as bad as his misses to the right. There's, there's no, nothing it's, skews it's, to the, to the right where his better misses are to the right uh, uh, or to the left, right? He's, he, he's making a lot of big mistakes left. He's making as many big mistakes to the left as he is to the right. And in some seasons he, he was making a few more big mistakes to the left than he was to the right. And, and so to say he's eliminated the left side of the golf course is what you would say, Mark, rubbish, rubbish. <laughs> absolute yeah. the absolute fact that dj with his driver hits exclusively a cut yes there's probably a couple times a year where he draws it but essentially saying dj only plays a cut is a fact especially with the driver that statement combined with the equal distribution left and right in theory it's relatively normally distributed also he hits just making up a number about the same amount of shots, 30 yards left that he hits 30 yards, right? It's pretty normally distributed over the center. Again, he's going to move that center. If the lake's on the right, he's going to move that center left. If the lake's on the left, he's going to move that center, right? So even if he was running worse left versus right, it would probably just be variance of he just happened to hit a couple more, you know, bad tee shots left when the hazard just happened to be on the left. It would be actually just variance for the most part if it was materially, if you get a guy who's working at both directions, you can definitely get a skew. Like for me, if I tried to work at both directions and I still had an equal distribution left and right, I guarantee you my penalty hazards right would be worse just because those would often be when I'm trying to draw it and I block cut it and hit it into somebody's pool two streets over. <laughs> that would be the only way, but somebody who plays exclusively one shape, it should be pretty normally distributed. Yeah, so just to put it out there, though, for, so people are clear, because I still, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I see it. I, I know how amateurs who are listening to this will read this. The biggest take home is that DJ is a is it in a lot of fairways, regardless of what the actual percent is. He's driving about sixty percent, well. about sixty percent. Yeah, about sixty percent, which is pretty high, isn't it? I mean, your average amateur, if you're going to do a fairway count, is going to be around. 27 to 35 well that plays into the folklore that they act like that they used to always hit 70 it's like no they all used to hit about 62 or 3 percent so dj at 58 it's not that much less yeah and but the other thing is he does have or has worked on a repeatable shot pattern so you saying it doesn't make a difference and then you've got an amateur who just basically aims down the middle and ah scott said doesn't make a difference i'm just gonna aim out the middle and take my variance no no that's not what scott is saying scott is saying you need a shot pattern. You need to have a reliable shot pattern and play it. And you need to aim for that shot pattern. I'm just interpreting because I'm hearing what you're saying as 
just did it down the like I, some people interpret that as just did it down the middle and take your variance. That's not. I can button that up really easily because this is just a fact. Period. DJ before he was great. Let's go back. I don't even know what that is. Is that ten years, eight years ago? He's always he, been great. Well, no, but I'm saying like world yeah, number know, one conversation. Yeah, he's always been great. Again, I'm a, I'm a huge DJ fan. Uh, the, DJ is my new tiger. Like that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's pretty much my favorite guy now. Um, sorry, Will. But <laughs> he used to try to hit it straight. And this is what part of my thesis of curving it is easier than a straight ball. So he used to play it straight and he used to try to send it straight down the middle of the fairway. And I was listening to Butch talk one time and Butch was like, he used to just send it straight and just figure out what happened. Once they kicked a little curve on the ball and then started aiming away from just the hazard. That was the main yeah. thing. Like, hey, if the hazard on the right, let's fade it and still aim it left. And if the hazard on the left, we're still going to fade it and we're going to aim it right. Once he did that year over year, his fairways hit didn't change much, but his strokes gain driving went up like 0.3 or 0.4 shots year over year one year. And he's never looked back since. And that's the change they made. So I do think commentators in their defense are saying... <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were, we, we've all got about three questions each and we haven't gotten through them. We'll do many more podcasts, don't worry. Thanks for all the questions. Um, basically, um, eliminating one side of the course they're not doing, but they are trying to bring in a repeatable shot shape and aim for it is really the moral. So I kind of see what they're saying. What would be the better way of saying it then? How would you, if you're the commentator, what would you say? You would say DJ is a very good driver and he has a reliable shot shape that he aims for. They should be using more of the total shot link pictures that I post a lot. Much until catchier I to say eliminate one side of the course though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they should be like, Hey, look at this. I mean, number 18, I've got it in my seminar, number 18 at, at PGA West, there's a lake on the left and there's bunkers on the right and their shot pattern. If you couldn't see the underlying graphic, if you just took all the shots and superimposed them on to a track like man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be like, Oh, here's the center of the shot pattern. And then if you brought the image back in showing where the shots actually were, it would be the right, the far right edge of that particular fairway. And it's just funny because yeah, they've eliminated the left side on that hole. Well, number seven at PGA West, the lakes on the right and they do the exact same thing, but they shift it to the left. Again, I say it as a joke all the time. These guys aren't morons. They're yeah. the best players in the world. They intuitively have figured this out. Again, I hate the word intuitive because they had to learn it at some point. Yeah. They have figured this out and that's what basically analytics circling back to all the questions will they ever kind of figure it out they will or they will just I, again i hate saying keep making bad content but they'll keep putting their foot in their mouths until they stop doing yeah, that. yeah absolutely good stuff there you go i like that i'm happy with those questions we got loads more stored up thanks for everyone's responses we will do more but as you can see us are trying to answer the simplest questions is often not the simplest thing for us three, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys, for your time as always. All right. Good conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for everyone listening. And as always, post those reviews down below if you're enjoying the podcast. Don't be afraid to subscribe to the podcast as well if you don't subscribe already, because you do get the podcast a little bit earlier, certainly if you're listening in the Apple Podcast app. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you all soon.